Um, <clears throat> if you haven't been at Storyline for a long time, you may not have experienced this. But uh, there was a time when a little child with blonde hair would run up to you as an adult, and he would plant his feet, and he would stick up his fist, and he'd say, I'm a bad guy. I'm a bad guy. Does anybody remember who that was? Caleb McMullen? Yeah. I mean, he did it so often, so frequently. Julie and I were like, at one point, do you think he really wants to be a bad guy? I'm like, no. The bad guys are always cooler than the good guys. That's why he wants to be a bad guy. And it's true. Um, David, our other son, um, can you guess who his favorite character in all genres of, of story and, and fiction are right now? Close. Picture, please. Kylo Ren. <laughs> Poor Kylo. Troubled Kylo. Very close, yeah. He wants to be bad like his granddad, Darth Vader. If only he can be like him, then his life will be fulfilled. And this is who my son loves, Kylo Ren. And for good reason. Kylo Ren's cool. He gets the mask, even though they get, he gets made fun of in the new spoiler alert. Um, but, I mean, the bad guys get the cool lightsabers. I asked him about this this morning. I was like, why do you like Kylo Ren? And he's like, he's got a cool lightsaber. His mask is cool. All the bad guys are cool dad, of course. I'm like, yeah, you're right. They get to shoot lightning bolts from their fingers, you know. They get to do the, the, just grab their hand like that and it chokes people. I mean, the bad guys get all the cool moves. I mean, it is, I mean, yeah, it, it's terrible, but it's cool. Um, so the bad, the bad guys are the cool ones sometimes. Um, I was thinking about, I mean, Michael Jackson told us. He, he was bad, and that was good back in the day. Um, I think about one of the best movies of all time, Grease, and Rizzo was by far the coolest character in Grease, the bad girl, right? Um, it's cool to be bad. Um, I think about, on, uh, about how our culture, and we're not the only culture by, by any means, but like, we love movies uh, about darkness. We love movies that are just graphically terrible in nature, and, and a lot of people love to go and be scared, and, but, I mean, there's some dark stuff that happens in a lot of movies that people love to see. And, you know, I wonder about if you, if you came uh, to our culture and, that, and, and saw that infatuation from the outside, and like, these people are really into darkness. And, and Charles, the, the, the title he gave me for today's sermon was Loving Darkness. And so I was thinking about that. I was like, what are the ways that we love darkness? Let me just put it out to you guys. How have you seen or how have you experienced love of darkness? <laughs> Unexpected, but true. <laughs> I'm a little uncomfortable with my teenager. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, taking a while. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So no, that's that's uh, that's that's very illuminative. Um, <laughs> uh, interesting choice of words. Yeah, I mean, that's the end of the move. And intimacy requires vulnerability, and man, to be vulnerable in the light is scary. Yeah, yeah, that's really true, really true. Where else do you see a love of darkness? Doesn't the fun 
stuff happen at night. The fun stuff happens at night. Yeah, I mean, when you can get away with it. Like, <clears throat> and even just, not necessarily bad stuff, but I mean, I think of the things that, that are fun to go do a lot of times are at night. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's more fun to do and maybe your inhibitions go down and maybe that's why it's more mm-hmm. fun, but... Like when all the ladies went dancing with Logan Simpson? Yeah. Yeah, that was at night. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't need that. Yeah, we do. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think nighttime is when, you know, stuff happens, I guess. Yeah. Good. I mean, but like, don't you feel cooler if you go to dinner when it's dark out than if you go to dinner when it's light out? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... And then there's no difference two hours later. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some... There's some. I mean, we're, we're in a world where there's light and darkness, and some things are special uh, in, in darkness, and then some things that you want to get away with, you want to do in darkness because you can't be seen. And, and some things are just bad, and, but there's something about it that people kind of gravitate toward anyway. Last week, if you were here, and if you weren't with the kids... Um, Charles shared the story of Jesus confronting what he called one of the dark powers. And that was when Jesus goes into the temple and he sees uh, this uh, injustice happening with the worshipers that have traveled there, being taken advantage of. And, uh, and there, there's a disrespect shown to his father. He, he loves his father and he hates when there's anything that's disrespecting him. He hates when he sees injustice and so he confronts it head on. And he confronts a dark system. Now, I want to take us back because we're in the Gospel of John this week, too. And there's a, there's a really close connection to these stories that we're going to be talking about. One that uh, Lauren read part of today. Um, at the beginning of the Gospel of John, if you remember, he starts the whole thing out saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he takes it all the way back to, you know, some people, you know, some of the Gospel writers start... At Jesus' birth, some of them started at the beginning of his ministry. John's like, I'm going to start at the very beginning. And so, and he brings it back to creation. And in verse 5, he says this about this person, that's the word. He said, in him was life, and that life was the light of all people. In him was life, and that light, life was the light of all people. Now, what was the first part of creation? What's the first action that in, in the beginning of creation? Let there be... Light. Okay. And so in the word was life and it was the light of all people. And then he says in verse five, chapter one, the light shines into the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome, understood. The Greek word is katalaben and it has dual meanings. Um, It is it's like overcome as in like you're surfing and a wave overcomes you. Or it's like comprehend, like you're staring at a painting and you're, you're figuring out all the depths of it. The darkness, uh, when the light approaches, um, it, it can't keep it back. Light comes and, and, it, and it comes into the darkness. But when darkness looks back at the light, it doesn't even get it. It doesn't even figure out. It can't understand what the light's doing. And that's what John says is, is starting to happen here with Jesus. And so... Uh, verse after verse in the Gospel of John, I've, I've just put some of them up here for you. you don't have to, we're not going to read all of them, but I just want to make a point. In the first three chapters, he says a lot about light. He says a lot about things being revealed. He say, says a lot about whether people see things or don't see things. It's just a theme that comes up again and again. 
In fact, he talks about how Jesus does these signs. And it's like how you drove up today and you saw the sign at the corner for Life Church and for Storyline, and it kind of directed you here. Uh, the signs in John are pointers to something that Jesus is trying to reveal about himself. And basically he's saying it's, it's the glory that he wants to reveal of who, of who, this, who the word is. And so in the chapter 2 of John, he, Jesus performs the first of his signs. Um, for you John scholars out there, do you, anybody remember what the first sign was that Jesus performs in John? It's one of the coolest miracles of all time. Water into wine. I mean, we've got the resurrection up here, and then we've got water into wine, you know. Really cool things that Jesus can do. Um, and, and, and it was at night. It was at a wedding. Very likely. So, <clears throat> Jesus is at this wedding. He's there with his disciples. He's there with some of his family members. In fact, his mom's there. And they run out of wine. And Jesus' mom is like, hey, Jesus, can you help us out here? And it's kind of weird. Like, what is she expecting? Because in John, he hasn't done any miracles yet. But apparently she knows he, he's, he's up, up for something. And um, he kind of argues with her. And then he basically says, okay, we'll, we'll do this. And he looks. And there are these big containers of water. Now, the important part about these containers is that these were containers that were used as part of Jewish, Judaic, religious, ceremonial cleansing. They weren't just any containers. They were big, huge containers of water, and they were used as part of of religious practice. Now, that that could just be happenstance, but John, in the Gospel of John, really doesn't do a lot of happenstance. He ties everything together. And Jesus says, get your water out of these containers. And when they do, and they pour out that water, it becomes wine. And John said this was the first sign that he gave to reveal who he was. Now, I think that connects to the next two stories that follow, including our story for today, in this way. Um, last week, John, or last week, Charles, in the, as he was sharing about the story of John, um, shared about the cleansing of the temple. Again, the religious power of the time. He goes into the temple, he sees this injustice, and he confronts it. He confronts a dark system, and he keeps doing this over and over in the gospel, and the rulers of, uh, the religious leaders come out and they ask him for something. They say, Jesus, give us a sign to show how you can justify what you just did. So again, they're saying, show us how you could do... Give us a, a way to see how you could justify what you just did. And the sign he gives them, they, they don't buy it. They don't understand it. They don't get it. He says, tear down this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. So the story that directly follows that is the one that we're in today. And so Jesus has changed the water into wine. Uh, this is his first sign. It's from these, this water that's used as part of the system. And then he confronts the system when he confronts the temple. And the next story is where a man named Nicodemus comes and approaches them. Now, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, so he's part of the, he's one of the important religious leaders of the community. He's also a member of the ruling council. This is chapter 3 of John. And so, Nicodemus is an important person. He's an important player in this whole story. He comes to Jesus at night. And again, this is significant because John has so much to say about light and darkness and about understanding and not understanding. So Nicodemus comes at night and he says, you know, Jesus, 
I've seen these signs that you're doing, and I kind of think God is involved in it. And Jesus says, you know, Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you're going to have to be born again of water and the Spirit. And Nicodemus is like, what? And Jesus is like, yeah, okay. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you're going to have to be born of water and the Spirit. Nicodemus, you know how people give birth to people? You've got that right. So the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. It's kind of like the wind, Nicodemus. You can't see the wind, but you can hear it, you can feel it. It's out of your control. It goes where it wants to. And this is the way that the Spirit reproduces. It, it goes around, it's out of control, it's out of your control, you can't see it, but it goes where it wants to. Nicodemus still doesn't get it. And Jesus is like, aren't you supposed to be teaching people this stuff? Nicodemus, my guys and I, we, we have seen what the Father wants to reveal, and that's what we share. But you don't see it, you don't get it, you won't get it. I'm using the most simple language I can here, Nicodemus, because if I talk to you about what I really have seen from heaven and the Son of Man is the one that can talk about it because he's been there, you really wouldn't get anything that I'm saying. So let me give you another picture. You remember in the Old Testament, uh, Nicodemus, when uh, the people had the plague and they were being bitten by all these snakes and then they, made, they crafted this, uh, uh, this pole with a snake on it uh, made of bronze, and they lifted it up into the sky, and everybody that looked at it was healed. Yeah, I remember that. I taught that last week. Well, <clears throat> the Son of Man is going to be lifted up as well. And all who look to Him are going to be healed. Nicodemus, God so loves this world. He so loves this world that He sent this Son, His only Son, so that whoever believes in him are not going to perish. They're not going to die in the dark. But they're going to have God's forever and ever life inside them, welling up inside them. God didn't send his son to condemn the world, to judge it. Now he sent his son that he would save it through what he's going to do. This is good news. And it's like a court case, Nicodemus. If, if people come and they, they see the son and they believe in him, they're set free. But if they don't believe, if they turn away, if they stare where, where they are, they're already in their guilt and they suffer the consequences. Another way to say it's this. If light has come into the world, Nicodemus, but people have loved the darkness instead of the light. Because what they do is, is bad. They do, they do evil things. And if you're doing evil things and, and you see that the light's coming, you don't want it to come into the light because then what you're doing will be exposed for what it is. And you're scared to be exposed. But everyone who wants to live in, in, by the truth will come into the light. And God's going to see them there. And everyone else will see them there too. That's my paraphrase of what Jesus says to Nicodemus. And we don't know how Nicodemus responds. John's like, okay, next story. <clears throat> but I wonder what was going on in Nicodemus's heart just then. Because he's a person of importance. He's a person of power. He's part of the system, and he's looking for something. He's seeking something. He probably thinks of himself as a pretty good guy, and, and yet there's something missing, and he's intrigued. So he goes at night because he doesn't want to be seen by his, his Pharisee buddies that he's going to go to this rabbi from Galilee. And he goes and talks to him about it. And Jesus says, here's the problem. Uh, 
there's a lot of darkness in what you're involved in. There's a lot of darkness in you and, and you can't get it. You're not getting it until you come into the light, Nicodemus. How, how do you think he felt? How do you think Nicodemus felt after he, he goes to Jesus and he's like, I've gone out of my way to find this guy in the dark. And this is what Jesus says, him, says to him. What do, how do you think he feels? Or how would you feel? Possibly confused. Confused, yeah. Frustrated. Yeah. He said, I think God's involved with you. Why are you, you know, why are you getting on to me? He's talking in the middle. To them. I think he just, it's frustrating for them and even us sometimes that he, he spoke to them in riddles. And it, yeah. a lot of what he was saying, he knew wasn't going to make sense until after the fact. Like everybody would have this aha moment, like mm-hmm. afterwards. Um, so, as Nicodemus, I think it would be very frustrating to yeah. think that you're going to finally get some answers on something and not understand what he's saying. Not get it, yeah. Yeah, frustrating. Yeah, Ted. Confused and humbled. Um, it's hard for me to read this without um, taking, bringing to it, like, my entire Christian upbringing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hard to read John 3.16 without going, oh, this is John 3.16. Right. That's where he says this. And it's hard to, it's it's hard to read when he's talking about, oh, when Jesus is going to be born again, obviously we all know what that means. Right. Um, but in a lot of ways, I kind of read this, and if I try to, like, put aside all of that and kind of like, okay, I, I know the Old Testament, I don't know any of the stuff that I know now, and I'm coming here honestly trying to find some stuff out. Jesus is being a jerk to this guy. <laughs> this is really confusing. I mean, right? He's like, you know, he's like, hey, you have to be born again. What are you talking about? What do you mean? You don't understand? I thought you were supposed to be some kind of teacher. You don't, you can't understand this simple thing? How are you supposed to do anything? Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of think that was on purpose. I think... I, you know, I think Nicodemus, right, he's sneaking around at night. He's an important person. He's part of the, the ruling body. And he's almost coming in and he's like, hey, Jesus, so yeah. we think you might be legit. We've seen some of the signs. We want to talk to you about this. I want to know more. Yeah. And Jesus, I think, is probably willing to engage with him on his own terms, though. Right. And I almost feel like he's got to cut him down a notch first. Yeah. I, I think that Nicodemus has been confronted yeah. And I think Jesus is confronting him in a, in a strong way. Yeah. Um, not not because he wants to, not just because he wants to knock him down a notch, but because he wants him to see the problem. And Nicodemus cannot see the problem. He's part of the problem. He can't see it. He doesn't recognize it. He doesn't see the problem in himself. And what I think is also true is that that can be very true for all of us where we can... Um, we can be confronted with Jesus, with his words, with um, things we don't understand, um, with things within us that we don't understand that doesn't jive with what we, we're hearing as part of the story. And it doesn't make sense all the time. And there are things that are within us, too, that we don't want to bring into the light. We don't want to be exposed. We want, don't want to be known to anybody. Um, and there's some things that we even we might even start to realize, yeah, that's probably wrong, but I don't want those things to be to be 
that, that's kind of where I feel safe. That's what I know. I don't want, don't push me there. I'm not ready for that yet. Um, Jesus has confronted the powers, and then he confronts Nicodemus. And I connect that to that sign where he's changing the water into wine. I want to talk about our brain for a minute, um, because as we think about the darkness that that we love, um, it's amazing how God has created our brains. It's uh, it's just fascinating to study it. And um, one of the cool things to realize is that so much of what we do and decide, thank you, Sarah, uh, in any given day is, um, is unconscious, or it's not something that we have to think about. So when I brushed my teeth this morning, and I did, um, I wasn't thinking about, okay, which side of my mouth am I going to start brushing on? Am I going to get those teeth? How many times am I going to move my hand this way? It just happens, and I think about other things about the day in the meantime. So much of, of what we do during the day is unconscious, and it's just stuff that we've learned and that our brains have figured out, and now it's on autopilot, and we don't have to think about it anymore. And it's pretty cool. Um, it's like uh, if you've ever driven on a long road trip, and you had a great book that you're listening to, and you're driving, and you're just so into that book, and it's been miles and miles, and you've passed car after car, or been passed by cars, depending. Um, and you're like, oh, wow, I've driven for two hours. I haven't really been thinking about what all I've been doing, but I've, I've, I've changed lanes, and I've done this, I've sped up, I've slowed down. And you're kind of on autopilot. I, at least I'm confessing I have done that before, okay? Um, <clears throat> the point is that the brain is able to do things uh, and able to, after you learn it, it's able to kind of do things on autopilot for a while. And it's pretty amazing. Um, now, a lot of what develops in our brain happens when we're young. Uh, a lot of it happens in our family of origin, where we come from. And it's this part up here at the front, <clears throat> the prefrontal cortex, that is kind of underdeveloped at first, especially in our childhood, as we're growing up, in our early teenage years. Um, it's not fully developed. And that's the part that does a lot more of our reasoning, that, that kind of takes everything that we've, we've learned and then processes it and says, this is really what I want to do. This is who I want to be. These are my values. This is, this is my choice in the matter. Um, and so I'm going to do these things because I've taken all this, I've analyzed it, and this is what I want. So that's kind of prefrontal cortex stuff. That develops over time. And at first, you don't have a whole lot going on up there. And so you're, you're given boundaries. You're given structures. You're told, yes, do this. And no, don't do that. And I'm going to reward you for this. And I'm going to punish you for that. And your friends are going to like you if you do this. And they're not going to like you if you do that. And all these experiences start just coming into our, our children. And as you're growing older, and they start to form how you behave and how you make decisions for better or for worse to where so much of what we do by the time we're young adults, it does become unconscious. Our responses to the world are not things that we're having to consciously think about. In fact, there are some things that we wish we wouldn't do this way anymore, or, or maybe there's things that we're like, yeah, that's just part of me, and I don't know why I do it. That's how I do it. <clears throat> there are things that our brain learns because it's had to survive trauma, there are things that our brain learns because we've gone through abuse or neglect. There are things that our brain learns because we've had to deal with difficult individuals. All these things that have helped us survive through different times help shape who we are. And they are kind of helpful in those moments to help us get through it, but they also change the way that we interact with the world to where later on 
there are some things that are deep within inside of us, deep inside of our brains that just happen. And they're like they're like ditches that get dug. And whenever it rains, all the water goes to that ditch and it goes in one particular direction because that's just how the things have been formed. The highways within our brains have been formed. And so there are behaviors that are deeply embedded in us that they're hard to see. They're hard to understand. They're part of just the water we grew up in that formed who we are. <clears throat> now, that's both good and bad. And I, I don't want, we, we don't blame all of our, our badness on our family of origin. Um, but we have been shaped and grown <laughs> in a broken world, regardless. And so um, that means that some of the stuff in here, some of the stuff that just directs how I live my life and has become part of me is broken down deep inside. And a lot of it I don't even see. Let me just give you an example. And I'll tie it up to Nicodemus. Um, when I was in, uh, when I was young, we moved, we had two significant moves in my life where I moved when I was uh, five or six years old, uh, kindergarten age. And when we moved, um, I just cried and cried and cried. I was so sad that we had to move. I felt all this deep emotion about moving. And then when I was in seventh grade, we moved again. And again, I was so sad. I just felt all this strong emotion about moving. Well, <clears throat> once I got into my junior high years, um, I learned pretty quickly that if I expressed strong emotion, if I cried or if I was scared or if I was even real excited about something, that was not cool. It was not cool for a guy in East Texas to express strong emotion. And I desperately had a deep need to fit in, to have friendships, to relate, um, to feel loved and secure. And so I, I shaped my behavior based on what I thought was going to help me with that, <clears throat> which meant in East Texas uh, that I suppressed all those excitable emotions, uh, whether they were positive or negative emotions, to where um, I just was really stoic. Um, I got to where I didn't have to try at that. That was just part of Paul. Um, and so, you know, I didn't cry for like years and years. Um, I didn't, um, I, I, it was hard to get super excited about things. Um, and maybe you're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense, Paul. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but I remember in particular, uh, one of my best friends uh, at the end of college was moving. And he said, um, he said, hey, I, I took this job and I'm going to move. And um, I'm going to have to move like next month. What do you think? And I was like, well, that's cool. <laughs> that's all I had. I was like, that's cool. He's like, is that all you're going to say? I was like, uh, what do you, I'm sorry, what do you want? I'm, I'm going to miss you. Um, and he's like, I just thought maybe, I don't know, I just thought maybe there would be more. I was like, I'm sorry, that's, what do you expect from me? That's all I got. Well, what he expected was that I would feel something, that I would actually have some empathy, <laughs> that my relationship with, with him meant something. And the response that I gave him meant that my relationship with him didn't mean much. Now, that's, that was just an area of brokenness within me because I was coping with something that, that form that was unhealthy. And you can imagine, it's not very healthy to not be able to have empathy when you're married to somebody, right? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, Lauren. 
Um, Paula's struggling. That's cool, dear. <laughs> Praise God. He has been shining some lights on my life. And um, I think that my wife could testify that um, God has been defying that part of me for the past ten years or so. And it's gotten a lot better. In fact, I actually can feel tears welling up right now. Because this is a, t- this is a tough journey for me. To, to cry, to be excited about something, to express emotion. It was very hard. Um, and it was just a, a part of brokenness in me. I didn't even know it was there. I didn't know, oh, you're supposed to be feeling these things. And you don't feel them. <clears throat> that's just the, the most, that, that's just one of the safest parts of me I wanted to share with you guys. <laughs> this is not about me. <clears throat> Baby steps. Here's the point. There's a lot of stuff that's within us that is broken because we live in a broken world. And we don't even recognize it. Like Nicodemus, we show up and we're like, you know, I think I've got most of this figured out, but I'm kind of intrigued. And we get confronted with something from God and we're like, whoa, hold on there. This is, this is way too much. I'm not ready for that. And Jesus says, you know, there's some parts of you that love the darkness. You don't want to come into the light. It's scary. It's fearful. I want to say there's good news. There, there is good news. And the good news is that, first of all, Jesus says to these dark places in, in us, we talked about dark systems last week, the dark places in us, I so love you. I so love you. He says it again and again and again and again. And because a lot of times he hits brick walls within us and he can't get through, but he keeps saying it again and again. I love you. That's, that's what I want you to know. I love you. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Good thing that's the one that we, we memorize the most. <clears throat> Secondly, he says, I didn't come to condemn you. I didn't come to hurt you like you've been hurt. I didn't come to make fun of you like you've been made fun of. I came to save you. I came to bring you healing. And we need to hear that too. We need to hear that to come into the light with who we are, to walk down that path, is going to be a safe one. I guess I don't move around as much as Charles. It's funny. Um, <clears throat> boom. The light. Thank you, Barrett. Um, we need to feel like it's going to be okay. And Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn. I came to save. And sometimes we need to hear that. We need to meet Jesus with skin on. And you know what I mean by that. We need to not just hear that from him or when we read John 3. We need to feel that together. And you may see it say, that's a theme you've been hitting on, Paul. We need to feel like we're among a community where we can be ourselves, where we can step into the light with all of who we are, and that we're not going to be condemned. We're not going to be made fun of. We're not going to be told, you know, that's too much. You need to get out. We need to be in a place where Jesus with skin on says, I struggle too. I, I've got parts of me that, that I'm working on too. And I, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be in community with you. So God loves us. 
He doesn't condemn us. We don't condemn each other. And then we start to see healing take place as we share stories, as we see somebody else's story and say, God did this in my life. I was here and now I'm here. I was in darkness and now I'm in light in this part of my life. And we're like, that can happen? And the answer is yes. Oh, it can happen. And we come to believe that that might take place in our lives. And then we help each other. We pour grace into each other's lives. Grace is not just forgiveness. Grace is giving somebody what they can't give themselves. And so we help each other in those dark spots. And that can look like, um, hey, I need somebody over at my house now because I'm really struggling. I need somebody to come and talk to me. I need to meet with people weekly to be able to, to get through some of this stuff. Can anybody be there? Can somebody text me um, because I'm alone? I need some help. Um, I need counseling. Um, I've been in counseling. It's okay to be in counseling. Counseling's good. I need to be in recovery. I need to be this. And this is how the community equips each other and builds each other up and extends grace so that people can take the next step out of the darkness that they feel like they don't want to show to anybody else but into the light and find healing. And it can be scary, but it can be incredibly freeing and incredibly powerful. So the good news is that we are not trapped in darkness and Jesus has come as a light to us. He can't be stopped, in fact. He can't be tamed. He's kind of like the wind in the night. Um, and it's kind of scary at first when he comes near and he lights something up in our life. We're like, oh, I'm not ready for that yet, Jesus. <clears throat> but he calls us. He says, come out. Come out of the dark. Bring all your brokenness into the light and let me see you. I know how to make you clean and whole again. I know how to make you see clearly. So, if you feel um, this morning, if you feel confused uh, by what I've said or by, by faith or by Jesus, um, if you feel like there are parts of you that um, you don't want to be known, but you feel like, I really need, I, I need something, I need some help here, I need, to, I need someone to help me with this. You're in the right place. It's okay to be fearful of that journey of walking from darkness into light. Um, it's a fearful journey. Jesus says that it's because of fear that people stay in the dark and don't come into the light. <clears throat> and the news is that he loves you. He doesn't condemn you. And we don't condemn you either. So come out of the dark and into the light. We're going to have a chance to pray now. And there's a lot of things going on that I know that we need to pray for. And a lot of things going on in our community and people's lives. Um, <clears throat> if, if you feel this sense of, I have some needs and I, I don't know what to do with that. It's, it's kind of not cool to say, well, come up to the microphone and share that with the community. Um, that never worked when I was growing up and I don't think it works now. Um, but what you do have is a community of people that will love you and that want to walk with you on that journey. This is a community that's walking with me on that journey. They want to walk with you on that journey. And so um, reach out uh, and share with someone. Just say, I, I just like to talk. And you can talk to me and talk to Julie. Um, I just like to pray with somebody. You can pray. Um, I need some help. I, I know I need some help. 
and, and we want to share that with you as well. Um, so let's take this time not just to go away and say, you know what, I felt like some light was shining on me today, um, but now that I'm back in normal life, it's just, let's just let things be. I don't want to change. I don't want to have to, it's too uncomfortable to change the, that, that thing. <clears throat> don't let that happen. Come into the light. Um, 